welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. Kay Murray, Ali Moreno and Stevie Nichol here in the studio. We will start by talking about the Bundesliga where Bayern came into their game against Bochum very much needing a win. It did not come their way. It started off well for them. Jamal Musiala getting the opening goal but then Takuma Asano leveled things out in the 38th minute and by the time the half came to an end Bochum were 2-1 up thanks to another goal from Kevin Schlotterbeck. In the second half, Bochum went three, went up to, to a penalty from Kevin Sturger. Dayo Upamecano, who didn't even start the game, came on, got his marching orders again for a second game. It was Bayern down to 10, uh, another penalty given away as well. Harry Kane scored in the 87th minute and missed a big chance as well in this game. It finished 3-2 and there's lots of questions to be asked of Thomas Tuchel's side right now. It is an eight-point difference between Bayer Leverkusen leading the table and Bayern Munich in second right now who are trying to defend their title. After the game, here is what Thomas Tuchel had to say. He said, I don't think today's defeat was fair. I think a lot went against us today. I think we had an expected goals oh. value of 3.4 and we had four, five, six top chances. <laughs> right now, winning the Bundesliga is not so realistic. But last season, we also hoped until the last second and it worked out. All right. Well, we're going to welcome in Archie Rintut, who's been following this whole drama all the way from us, most of the time from the sidelines. But let me start with you guys here in the studio. And let me start with you as well, Ali. Uh, this was the last thing that Bayern needed today. Absolutely the last thing they needed. And if you could picture a bad week for Bayern Munich, this is even worse. An awful week from Bayern Munich. Even in their worst nightmares, they could not have pictured such a bad week that started with the destruction by Bayer Leverkusen last weekend, losing to Lazio, and then following that up and losing at Bochum. Awful week, right? And so you're thinking, at the beginning of the game for the first 20 minutes, you're seeing a marginally better version of Bayern Munich. They seem to be in control of the game. They go up in the game. They get that second chance there for Harry Kane, in which you think, okay, this is going to be 2 nothing. It didn't happen. In years past, when I'm watching this game from 1,000 miles away, I would have said, ah, it's all right. It's all right. It'll be one of the many chances they're going to get, and they're going to run away with this game regardless. When that miss happened, nowadays, given what the reality of Bayern Munich is, I was thinking, uh-oh, uh-oh. And if I'm thinking it, 1,000 miles away, and I'm sensing it, and I'm feeling it. You don't think the players are feeling it? You don't think they're sensing it? That they know, they know that the margin for them right now between being in control and a total collapse is so small. It's such a fine line. It's a blurry line, actually, when you think of it. And so they know that they need all the help they can get at this point to elevate their level of confidence, and going up to nothing would have done that. They went from there to a stoppage because of the protest, and it's like somebody just said, ah, Bayern Munich, that's it, and that's all, thanks for coming, and they didn't show up for the remaining of the first half. And then Bochum just fought. Bochum is not a team that is just going to outplay you. They can outfight you. They can outrun you. They can outwork you. That's what they try to do, and that's what they did. And they showed a desire and, and a sense of purpose that Bayern Munich simply doesn't have at this point. We only saw a version of Bayern Munich that looked similar to what we expect from them when they went down a man and they were desperate and they said, well, we just, we have to go for it. We have no other choice. Bayern Munich right now, as I mentioned before, they are so far away from their level. But again, 
their difference between them being in control of what, what we perceive to be in control of the game and the whole roof collapsing and everything going wrong for them is so small. And so now they're expecting for things to go wrong. And when things go wrong, the team just breaks down. They're so fragile. This is like a boxer with a glass jaw right now. They cannot take a punch. Yeah, talking about the mentality issues with Bayern right now. Is it that Bochum looks at a team like Bayern, the run that they're in, and thinks, okay, they can be got at today, and mm. they did it? Well, it took them a little bit of time to figure that one out because when they're stepping on the field, they're thinking we're playing Bayern Munich today. But as the game goes on, they start realising that this is not the Bayern Munich that we're used to playing against. And players can smell it on the field. And they just, they just go after them. And Bayern, as Ali said, when they get punched on the nose, they don't come back. They, they, with the amount of experience, I mean, you look at that lineup, you talk about experienced players, but when a going gets tough, Nobody stands up strong. They all seem to disappear. And they're all looking around to see who's going to take the lead. And nobody's taking it. And I think it's even worse. I think what's even worse is they look at the sideline and they look at a guy in Tuchel who they now, at this stage of the season, they know he has no idea what his best team is. They know. When you sit down before a game or the day before and the manager reads the team out, we all have an idea of a proper team we know who at least 10 are. Mm. There may be a change for maybe a, a particular reason. When you're in this Bayern dressing room and you sit down for the team, you've got no idea who's playing. Because the changes he makes constantly, different formations, different way of playing. I mean, an absolute shambles. And, and Tuchel, I, I can't imagine how Tuchel still got a job. The CEO says that Tuchel's sticking around, Archie, because obviously that's been the first question for so many after a third consecutive defeat. Yes, that's what Jan Christian Dresen said. He was very reluctant to try and answer that question, but in the end said that it, he will be in charge for the RB Leipzig game next weekend. But the air is getting thinner and thinner for Thomas Tuchel because the manner of that defeat today was shocking. And the fact is, I don't think Bochum had to play at their very limit. And usually it goes without saying in Germany that you have to play a perfect game if you're going to beat Bayern Munich. And I don't think Bochum really had to today. They were, they were very good, but they weren't at their limit. And if you go through that Bayern team and you think about the amount of players who are just off form right now, Leroy Sané, who didn't start today because of a flare-up of a knee injury that he's been carrying for weeks, so said Thomas Tuchel. The fact that when he came on, he, just everything seemed to go wrong for him. He missed a glorious chance as well. It was a fantastic save by Manuel Riemann. But the sort of chance where in the first half of the season you think he's sticking this away. But it's, it's the same old Leroy Sané inconsistency that we've seen throughout his career. You look at the Joshua Kimmich situation where he comes to near blows and near scuffle with the assistant coach Salt Love after the game because he was taken off in the second half. That's a situation that's having to be managed. Harry Kane had probably, in fact, it's not probably, Harry Kane had his worst game in a Bayern shirt so far today. When he misses those two chances, the German commentator, all he could say after both chances was, wow, 
He just went, wow, because it was mind-blowing how a guy who cost as much as he did and who has been as certain in front of goal as he has could miss both of those chances. Now, why that's happened, uh, on, on the lighter side, the goals don't seem to be been flying for him quite the same as when he was actually living in the hotel in Munich. Since he's, he's found a house of his own, what's happened to the goals? They've dried up a little bit. In all seriousness, I think that it certainly knocked the Bayern players off their stride when their best player so far this season missed chances like he missed the chance that he did to put them 2-0 up. And that made them think, uh-oh, if, if Harry Kane's doing this, then where are we at right now? Because you're expecting a 100 million player to be mm. putting those chances away, Ali. Bayern certainly are. Well, I, I, absolutely. And look... We can single out Harry Kane, and deservedly so, because of the big opportunities that he missed today. But I think across the board, you just go Bayern Munich and just compare them to Bochum today. Is Anthony Losilla a better player than Joshua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka? No, he isn't. But today, he played better than those two. And... Physically, he was better than them. And 50-50 challenges, he won more of those. And he's winning the ball and passing the ball forward and joining the attack. And people will say, who's Anthony Losilla? Exactly. Whoever you name from Bochum today, Takuma Asano, is he better than Leroy Sané? No. Brzezinski, is he better than Harry Kane? No. And yet, today, on the whole, you add those pieces together and you actually formulate a team, which is what Bochum is, whatever you may think of them and their talent level, they actually look like a team and they play like a team. My, my point is you look at Bayern Munich and individually they're all going through a stretch right now in which, yes, they're underperforming individually. And then as a whole, those, piece, those pieces are not coming together. So there is no team. There is no concept of group. And to your point, Stevie, when, there is, when, the starts thing, when things start going the other way, when they start going wrong, you're looking for that leadership. You're looking for that experience. You're looking for guys like Harry Kane. You're looking for guys like Joshua Kimmich, like Leon Goretzka, like Manuel Neuer. Have plenty of experience in this team to say, hey, okay, look, things just went wrong. But we can react from this. We can, we can be better than what we have been. And yet the reaction from those players and the team as a whole is, we don't know what we are. Blank stares everywhere, and everybody's looking around to be a leader, and there is no leadership. There's a boiler leadership on this team. And so, yes, Anthony Losilla takes over the game instead of Joshua Kimmich taking over the game. Have you got any sympathy I, I, I think, with... I think at the end of the day, all the reasons for what Ali's talking about lay firmly in the hands of Tuchel. But he do you has... have sympathy with him today for what happened with Upa Meccano? Because we've seen this no, in two games no, now. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think we should look... Listen, uh, yes, Harry Kane missed two easy chances, right? Yes, Upa Meccano... Upa Meccano doesn't try and elbow this guy in the face. He's, he's, he's gone about it the wrong way. He's thrown his arm. He's not trying to hit the guy. It, he's just made a mistake. I think the bigger picture is not about those things that we saw today, the bigger picture is these things have been happening since Tuchel got there and it's not changing. And if anything, it's getting worse. And somebody like Harry Kane, people forget, Harry Kane has, has little foibles like everybody else. And when the team's poor, it affects him as well. 
So that's another reason why he maybe misses the chances. Because his head's not quite where it was the first time he stepped on the field for Bayern. When all he's thinking about is goals, goals, goals. He's looking around, looking at all this... All these players that seem to be disillusioned and, and don't understand what their job is and what they're supposed to be doing and, you know, where am I supposed to be? And, oh, I'm not playing today. Why is that? And what formation are we going to play this week? I mean, there are so many things going wrong and every single one of them, in my opinion, it all points straight back to the source and that is the manager. The manager, absolutely, 100% has to take the blame for the complete disillusion of this team. So what happens now, Archie, if they don't see this tie-out with Lazio in the Champions League? They're obviously trailing after the first leg. Does Tuchel stay in his place then as Bayern coach? I think you have to ask the question, will we get that far? Will we get to that point? Because next weekend, they're at home to RB Leipzig and Thomas Tuchel has had two home games against RB Leipzig so far. And he's lost both of them. And the way they're playing, as Stevie says, the amount of fires that Thomas Tuchel is having to fight right now, whether it is the centre-back situation where Matthijs de Ligt is not, has, has not been picked and then is picked today. And I don't think he was as bad as Kim, but it didn't work out for him. You look at the, the midfield situation with, with Joshua Kimmich, that will dominate headlines. For, for a while now, I think. Leroy Sane's form falling off a cliff, the amount of injuries that they've had. I still don't think Tuchel is 100% to blame for the current situation that Bayern find themselves in because there have been many blocks that have fallen before this point. If you want to go back to the sacking of Julian Nagelsmann, for example, I, the, things were never this bad under him. And I think that that is something that it was a decision that was more of a personal one against the personality of Julian Nagelsmann rather than one against, I would say, his football on the whole. And I think Bayern are paying the price for those decisions, but also in the transfer market. Bayern, even the signing of Harry Kane, it was a very shiny plaster in the summer for problems that they needed to solve throughout the squad. And usually Bayern's transfer business over the years has been great because they are filling the holes with the players exactly that they need. But right now, the Bayern team reflects a club that doesn't really know what it wants from its team on the pitch. Can you, I'd be interested in Ali's opinion in particular, the amount of games that we've watched this season, can you really recognise an identity in comparison to what we've seen with Bayer Leverkusen, where I think we know the exact game plan that's going to happen now, week for week, and they're so confident in it. Whereas with Bayern, I'm, you just never know what to expect. Hold that thought one minute, Ali, because okay. just why I've got you talking about the whole Tuchel situation, Archie, who would fill the hole that he would leave? Who's actually available to come and take over Bayern right now if he goes? Hansi Flick, but he's not said to be a popular choice with very influential board member Uli Hernis. That is, is, for me, the most obvious a candidate also because the guy that he chiefly didn't get on with and a big reason why he left the club, Hassan Salihamidzic, the then sporting director, is no longer at the club. But otherwise, candidates are not jumping out at you for who would come in right now. Surely they're not going to go back in again for Jupp Heynckes, who has said firmly, I have retired. But at, at this stage, Bayern seemed desperate. And let's not forget, 
the decision to sack Nagelsmann last time, th- that is indicative of a, of a club that thinks it, it needs to make a desperate move that nobody really saw coming. And once you start to make one desperate move, then I think it leads to more. And that's what we've seen over the course of the last year. Uh, let's finish this conversation by adding to what Archie said there. Well, um, first of all, Hansi Flick apparently is the most popular man in the world because if you ask Barcelona, they're also saying Hansi Flick is the answer to Xavi. I'm, I'm just saying, he seems to be a hot commodity right now. In regards to what Archie was mentioning and this team lacking identity, it's one thing if Archie and myself and, and those of us that cover Bundesliga on a weekly basis can't quite figure out what is it that Bayern Munich are trying to do in the field. What I think is even more concerning is the fact that they don't know what they're trying to do on the field. They don't know. And if you needed evidence as to why I say that they don't know what they're trying to do, well, go back to the game against Bayer Leverkusen, in which the most important game of the season, season-defining game for Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen, the manager for Bayern Munich, Thomas Tuchel, decides to go with a formation that he had not played yet with that group of players. He's t- he, he was experimenting in the most important game of the season. If you had known who you are and what your identity is coming into that match, you play that team and you play those guys and you put them out there because that's your best against their best. When you're searching, when you're experimenting, that's because you have questions and they still have questions and zero answers. It looks like we've got an interesting week ahead. We're going to let you go, Archie. No doubt you've got a lot of reading to do tomorrow and a lot of reacting to do from the German media after everything that's happened today. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll speak to you again soon. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Real Madrid were away to Rayo Vallecano under a new coach today in La Liga. It started off well for Real Madrid. They went ahead in the third minute through Hosselu. At first, that goal was given for offside, but the VAR review gave it to Real Madrid. So they were ahead at that point. But in the 24th minute, Camavinga 
was penalised for handball, which means that Rio got the chance to take a penalty kick, which Raul de Tomas put away. The game finished 1-1, but not before Danny Carvajal got his marching orders for a second yellow card for elbowing Kike Perez. It means he and Camavinga, due to suspensions, will miss Madrid's next game against Sevilla. This is how things are looking in the table. Girona with a chance to catch up a little bit with Real Madrid at the top of the table when they take on Athletic on Monday. But as it stands right now, Real Madrid on 62 points, Girona on 56. Sid Lowe is joining us now to talk more about this. Uh, we'll get your reaction to everything that we've seen here, Sid. But let me start with you guys. Real Madrid here. What happened? When was the turning point in this game, Ali? Was it after that equaliser? Well, I actually think it's before. When Real Madrid scored their goal, they were given a blueprint as to how they could go about playing this game, in which they could force a turnover from Rayo Vallecano and then get out in transition so that you can find this, the spaces that otherwise were not available. Real Madrid were never able to build on that, on the goal, which was a perfect start for them. It comes indeed from essentially a mistake by Lunin, and then Rayo Vallecano are passing the ball sideways and back, and eventually they lose it, and now Real Madrid get on a transition moment. And when you get the legs of Fede Valverde running in behind, then he frees everything up. When you have the legs of Ini running in behind, then he frees everything up. And then you allow yourself to go up and you're thinking, okay, this is the blueprint. This is how we win this game. Real Madrid instead, they chose to have in short passes and shorter passes and even shorter passes through the midfield, touches and more touches through the midfield, which then invited the pressure of Rayo Vallecano. And Rayo Vallecano made this about duels. In Vallecas, that's exactly what you want to do, where everything feels so tight, where it's not the friendly confines of Vallecas. It's the, there's very little space. The space is when you're trying to force them in, into areas in which now you turn the ball over. Now Rayo Vallecano feels great about themselves. The fans are into the game. They go and tie the game. And now you're in a match. Now you're in a fight. And it's not what Real Madrid wanted. Once they got into the fight, it was always going to be difficult because it was never then about playing the game. It was about fighting. And at that point, I think the momentum of Raúl Vallecano and the crowd itself was always going to carry this team forward. What did you make of the penalty incident, Stevie? Oh, it's a penalty kick. His uh, hands out. The ball. The goalie's going to have to make a save. Yeah, it's, I really don't think it's a controversial. I think it's... 100% a penalty kick. I, I, I don't understand anybody that would argue about it. I mean, the strike's going towards goal. The goal is going to have to make a good save. His arm's sticking out. I mean, it's, it just ticks all the boxes. I would say, though, that one of, the, one of the, the delights of having somebody like Carlo Ancelotti as your manager, he will know exactly that this is the type of result that all it does is kicks everybody up the backside, just gives them a little reminder that the league's not over until it's over, and that's what this is. It's not, this is not let's go dissect what went wrong and who was playing here and who should have done this and done that. There are going to be games, and it's unusual when these sort of things don't happen every now and again. And so when you've got Angelotti, he will calm his boys down and say, look, we got a point, it's not what we wanted. It's a little kick up the backside to remind you that at the end of the day, the first thing you've got to do is work harder than the opposition. Now, before we do go to Sid, we just want to give you what Ancelotti has said after the game, because as you can imagine, there weren't too many questions about the game for Carlo mm. Ancelotti, or before the game for that matter. 
On the Mbappe headlines being a possible distraction, Carlo Ancelotti had to say, when haven't we been focused? I think we've always been focused, and today too, when things didn't go so well. Criticising this team this season is difficult. So, Sid, let's get to these questions about Mbappe, which seem to be dominating the Madrid press conferences right now. Is there any cause for concern that they could cause a distraction to the players? Well, I mean, there's the contradiction, isn't there? Or, or, or maybe it's the hypocrisy of the fact that we, we have rooms full of journalists, rather, and the, the journalists ask, is this going to distract you? And of course, it must be tempting for Ancelotti to say, well, no, but you are, if you keep asking me about this. This is where it comes from. And, and of course, Ancelotti, I think, is very good at saying, that. no, what matters is the next game. Of course, the players are talking about it. The players themselves have admitted that. They're bound to talk about this. There's bound to be a degree of excitement. But I don't think it necessarily has real impact on the way that they prepare or play games. Now, it may well have an impact on what they think will happen next year, but right now I don't think it does. And that quote that you read out um, after the game today, it was, it was quite funny really because he was asked this question and it was actually about the focus next year and you know, trying, to, trying to build towards it and where Mbappé fits and that this is a really good, good harmonious group at the moment and might that change and could there be a lack of concentration? And he just looked at the journalist who was sitting right in the front row in the very tiny press room at Vallecas, which, which you know very well, Kay. And, and he just looked at him and said, sorry, when have we not being focused? When have we not been concentrated? You know, there may be games when Real Madrid are less good than in previous games. There may be games when there's maybe a little bit of a lack of tension. But I don't think this is a team that can be accused at any point, and certainly not a manager that can be accused at any point, of allowing this kind of noise to affect them. Other elements can, other parts of the game can, but the signing of Mbappe I don't think will do. I like the way Sid said the quote better than the way I said it mm. for Carlo Ancelotti. I should have let you do it, Sid. What can we put Real Madrid's drop points <laughs> down to today then? I think there's a couple of things. I think one of them is just that natural sense that you you know you can't produce 38 games of the same level. I think what we've seen with Real Madrid, and I think this is partly explained, by the way, by their extraordinary success in the during a period in which actually record hasn't been that brilliant. And I think what it is is about a team with a huge amount of talent that knows or is able its game. 38-game season maybe doesn't do it consistently. And I think this was implicit, by the way, in the things that Carlo Ancelotti said after the Girona game. And after the Girona game, he talked about the quality of the players. He says, and the key is, if you get the quality of the players to be matched by the commitment of the players, you're going to play well, like we did today. If you get players, even those players who are in the team, to make the difference, doing the running, doing Ali. the chasing, doing the defensive work, then you'll be all right. But you can't do that every single game. Ale, yeah, just talking about those players, though, that are missing, whether it be through suspension, mm. whether it be through injury, we've been seeing it all season, and he's managed to overcome these hurdles so far. It keeps happening. Will it continue happening that he can keep overcoming these hurdles? Because it feels like they keep coming. I think Real Madrid are built to withstand this major hits and this major absences. Now, in terms of absences, when we hear managers around the world, and Thomas Tuchel has been one of those managers that has been complaining about who's missing, who's not here, who we need, Carlo Ancelotti will sort of go, um, excuse me, Thomas, uh, yeah, I have my starting goalkeeper out, starting center backs out, uh, yeah, right now Bellingham is out, Vinny has missed time as well, and we managed to put together results and managed to put together performances that are good enough to win games. Not necessarily good enough to entertain the whole wide world, but 
good enough to win games. And in the end, I think that's what truly matters here is that they, they find ways to win three points at a time. It, 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 this feels like a discussion that I have with my father every time I'm driving home after there has been a Real Madrid game. And we cover the Real Madrid game, and he's a Real Madrid fan. And he tells me, well, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And I said, Dad, Papi. Have a look at the table. Yes, you're up. You're first. If, you're in, if you have issues with your team, talk to Barcelona, how well they're defending, right? That, and, and that's sort of the conversations that, that I imagine a lot of Real Madrid fans are having. It's like, well, we, we don't know. What don't you know? At this point, if, if Carlo Ancelotti doesn't have your trust, that he knows exactly what he's doing and how he's going to manage this team and how he's able to get the best of players, even if they're not playing in the positions that they prefer, say, for example, Chuameni. If you cannot trust Carlo Ancelotti, who are you going to trust if you're a Real Madrid fan? Look. He is, and, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Stevie just said there, that he is the manager that will know exactly what to do with this sort of performance, with this sort of result. And more importantly, he will know what rotation of players he needs in order to get results when they need it the most. Obviously, Brahim's magic was a big part of that first leg tie against Leipzig. But on the other side of things, Sid, it wasn't the best of performances from Real Madrid and things went their way, especially with that disallowed goal. What's been the reaction in Spain to that? Well, I think in a way it's curious to This is what Champions League. And we come back to the same things that Ali and Steve are talking about, the same things that I was talking about, that Madrid have so much quality and they have so many good players and they have this capacity to withstand those bad moments and come through them. So you see this performance in Germany and you think, well, this isn't Madrid at their best, but are they 1-0 up after the first leg, having played away? Yes, they are. And this is what happens quite often in Champions League. And I, I, I was thinking about this, the year that Real Madrid won that extraordinary Champions League where all the, all the English clubs, and they eventually, of course, won the final against Liverpool with Courtois making nine saves, which is a competition record. Of course, it's tempting to look at this and say, wow, they got really lucky. And at times maybe they did. Or wow, they've got, they've got this incredible ability to withstand. And at times they did. But I think there's a combination. Um, and this is going to sound contradictory, but there's a combination, I think, of a, a kind of like a supreme superiority complex, which says, we are Real Madrid. We are really good at this. And we will get these guys. At some point, we will get these guys. Why? Because we've got great players. And when those chances come to us, we will take them. And we will be all right, even if we're going into the 90th minute and we're still losing. Because we're Real Madrid. Because we've been here before. So that's the superiority part of it. But I think it goes hand in hand with, I suppose, what you could describe as a humility. A humility that says... We are the biggest club in the world. We have won this competition more times than else, twice as much as anybody else. But we also accept that there will be moments in games when we are not the better team, when the other team does put us under pressure, when we are, to use that Spanish phrase, suffering, when we do feel like maybe this is going to go wrong. But there's something about Real Madrid that I don't think really big teams have as, as much as Real Madrid do, that they just don't fold. They trust in the fact that at some point they're going to get their 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes or maybe even only two minutes, but it will be enough. But they accept that in the meantime, the fact that they're being overrun doesn't mean that they have to hold up their hands and say, can't do this. Now, hopefully your dad's watching this next part because we're going to talk about <laughs> oh, Barcelona okay. and everything that's happening there. This is the newspapers. Lewandowski deciding the game. Obviously, it was a very late winner. Only decided at the death from that penalty from Lewandowski against Celta yesterday. Sid, you spoke to him after the game. What's the reaction been to Barcelona's late win here? Right, well, here's the question. You were 
the reaction of everybody who got the reaction of Xavi who saw this game. Because Xavi again is down this line of talking about a team that he thinks played well. They're talking about a team that he thinks deserves more. And post-game, he talked about big data. And he said, the big data shows that we have created sufficient chances this year that we should be top of the table. Now, actually, for what it's worth, if you take the expected goals and the expected goals against statistics, he's actually right. There is an element of truth in that. But then there's the eye test. And Xavi does this after every game. He thinks he's played well. He tells us that he's satisfied with the performance. And to be perfectly honest with you, most of us who are watching him are thinking, I don't get it. I don't get it because they don't look very good. I thought they were really quite poor for quite a lot of the game against Celta de Vigo. And after they conceded the goal, there was a kind of a sense of, of chaos and they lost control of the game almost entirely. But Xavi either doesn't see that or, and I'm perfectly accept, prepared to accept that this is more likely, doesn't want to say so publicly. So you get this reaction now almost of a kind of a disconnect between what the manager is saying and what everybody else thinks they're seeing. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's, let Sid go, though. Sid, thank you so much for being with us. We'll speak to you again soon, no doubt, with all these big topics coming thick and fast in La Liga. Let me continue the conversation in here, though. Xavi, mm. do you think he is going to stay to the end of the season? Yes. Listen, what do you expect Xavi to do? You know, the coach is always going to try and defend against anybody who's going to criticise, regardless of who it is. And so, if the stats back up what he's saying then it doesn't look stupid. It doesn't, doesn't look as though he's just making stuff up. It's factual. So he's going to do that. Now, we know and he knows that <laughs> it's not smooth. We know that they're getting by because they've got ability and on occasions people are producing it or they're getting a penalty and they're, they're winning the game like Lewandowski scoring in the last minute. That, so... So, yeah, Coach is going to defend himself and his team. What do you expect him to do? Yeah, we've been rubbish all season <laughs> and we're getting away with it. I mean, come on. You got, the first thing you'll always do as a coach is defend yourself and your team to the hilt. Well, That's all he's doing. I'm, and I'm with you there. I understand. And I understand the reasoning, Stevie. However, I think... It's gone to the point now to where you, you need to mix it up a little bit if you're shy. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes you've got to say, hey, look... We weren't all that great today. You can't come out and say we were good every time and, and you look at the results and you look at the performances and you look at how to, as to how many goals they're allowing and the goals that they're not scoring. And all of that is part of playing well. All of that comes in the package of playing well. So when you say, yeah, we played well, we deserve more, we're just not getting the results that we deserve, and that happens every weekend, and that doesn't match the games. That doesn't match the actual performances. That doesn't match actually what's going on on the field. You know, it gets to the point to where those of us watching from afar just kind of go, okay, Xavi, I, I, I understand that you're going to be positive about your team, but we're not dumb, and neither are the players. They know what's happening here, and that's how they're playing, knowing full well that they're getting fortunate to win games when they actually find ways to win games. Most of the time, it's actually been the other way, in which they actually find ways to give up points, to give up late goals, to give up chances. Yesterday was, a good, yesterday was a good example of that. Again, Celta de Vigo is a game that they were more likely to lose than to win, and in the end, they find a way. Again, that's part of his job, is to be positive and, and say yeah. the right things in the paper, and then when he goes in the dressing room, he's going to have to be positive. And pick it. If there was ten bad things and five good things, he's got to exaggerate the five good things. Because then the players will, the players will 
the majority of them, your Lewandowski's and your experienced guys will be going, oh, I'm not so sure, but, but the majority of them will, will take that as a positive and try and take it into the next game. That, that's just what you do. Xavi's hype, man. And Xavi, by the way, will be more relaxed between now and the end of the season. So the criticism won't sting as badly because he knows, you know what, I'm going anyway. So he'll be a lot more relaxed. And again, that will make him stick up for them even more. But guess what? That doesn't translate into better performances. But if they get results, then well, but you they can, haven't. When you, well, they just won 2 1 in the 90th minute, not playing well. Okay. But he's standing up saying, I thought at times we played well. Okay. He's going to do it. Right. What do you expect? Yeah, well, we were garbage. I can't believe we won 2 1. No, no, it's not that, Stevie. <laughs> but you, you're acting as if this is not a team that struggled against Granada last weekend. It struggled all season. Well, exactly. I'm just telling you that the coach is going to find every single positive thing to say and he's going to harp on about it. Not, not all the stuff that's going bad. That's, that's for the private coach's room when you're sitting there going, oh, my goodness, how bad was that? Because <laughs> that's what he'll do. But as soon as he walks out of that coach's room, it's all super positive. Has to be. And everything's all right. Hey, that's right. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Manchester United overcame Luton Town 2-1 at Kenilworth Road to make it five consecutive victories across all competitions. They raced off to a lead with Rasmus Hoyland scoring once again in the first minute. Seventh minute, he followed that up from a corner kick to make it 2-0 to United, becoming the youngest player ever to score in six successive Premier League appearances. Luton Town got one back on the board in the 14th minute through Carlton Morris, but Manchester United held on to make it another three points. And this is how things are looking in the table right now. They are six, three points behind Tottenham and five points behind Aston Villa in fourth. These victories keep coming, Stevie. At what point can we start saying that Manchester United have definitely turned a corner? Oh, depends how big a turn you're talking here. Listen, they're winning games. Come on, go positive, go positive, Stevie. When you go five on the trot, then then yes, you've got to think you're you're going in the right direction, which it is. But I think if you're Ten Hag, he again will not be going in the dressing room and lighting up a cigar and having a bottle of wine and not having a care in the world. Because we've just shown Manchester United pretty much, we've showed very little of Luton. But the truth of this game is, Luton deserve to get a point out of this game. I mean, Man United going 2-0 up, you think this game's over. Man United are going to steamroll them now. But they didn't. They sat back. 
And the truth is, in terms of football, Luton were far better for the, what, last 60 minutes than Manchester United were. Listen, Manchester United hit them on the break. That's what they did. And, and it looks exciting. You've got people like Garnaccio with pace and you've got Rashford with pace. And Hernandez, Bruno Hernandez trying to get forward. Oh, and Hernandez. So it, 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 it would be easy to get carried away and say, oh, look how great they look going forward. Well, they actually didn't do anything with the opportunities they had when, on the break. And the fact is, that had Luton had any quality up front, we could be talking about a different situation. So Manchester United are on a fantastic run. Have they turned the corner? Yes, they have. But they're still way off the best teams in the league. Well, it's, no never, it's never a bad thing, though, LA, when Rasmus Hoyland's scoring the goals that he is at the moment, the run that he's on right he's now. He's been fantastic. No. And I, what I like about him, of course, the goals is, is, is part of the story here, but it's the work that he gives this team and the attitude that he gives this team in the attack. He's willing to make runs in behind. He's willing to give you hold of play if that's necessary. If he needs to run the channels, he's willing to do that. He's going to fight defenders. He's going to fight for 50-50 balls. And it may not look like much, but it is those 50-50 balls that all of a sudden, if you're able to win one of those, and the guys that are coming from behind, a Rashford, a Fernandez, now get a hold of that ball. And now you can get on a counterattack because of the initial hold of play from Rasmus Hoyland. So, he has been outstanding in front of goal, his work rate has been outstanding, and overall his attitude has been very good for Manchester United. I think it changes the personality of this team in the attacking half. Let's get back to the talk of the top four then. What are the chances here with what you're seeing from them in 2024? I, I don't think they'll get top four. I don't. I think, I think Villa and Tottenham will win enough games to stay ahead. I mean, they're three points behind Tottenham, they're what's that, five behind Villa. I, I don't believe they're going to get in the top four. I don't. LA? See, last week we were asked this question. I'm going to ask you every week. Yeah, I, I, apparently. As facts change, opinions can. Well, no, but I, I, I still don't think that making up the point differential with Aston Villa is going to be as straightforward as one may look. I mean, right now, of course, you look at the run that Manchester United is on and you kind of go, well, yeah, they got all the momentum. But they came from very far back and there is a reason as to why that happens and that still remains inside the makeup of this team and to Stevie's point I wouldn't even say if Luton had outstanding talent going forward if they had any talent going forward if they had had a decent game going forward they would have created a whole lot of opportunities because the chances were there because the spaces were there and it was the same story as uh, uh, against Aston Villa last weekend in which it felt like there was no reason for Manchester United to win that game, and yet they did. So I think that's a positive for Manchester United, finding ways to win games. Now, is this sustainable? And that's a big question. In order to make a run for the top four, this has to be sustainable. We, I don't think we've seen enough to sit here and say, yeah, this is going to stay like this for the remainder of the season. The biggest worry is they don't dominate enough in the middle nope. of the park. You know, let's be honest. You're playing against Luton, a side that will be involved in relegation battle, and the middle of the park was surrendered to Luton, who are in danger of being relegated. So you've got to look at it realistically. It's a great run, but they've still got problems that they need to solve big time. It, uh, to that point, Stevie, and I think a word that I go back to when, when describing Manchester United is that they don't have control no. of the games. No. 
they can be up in the game and they're still not in control of the match. Obviously, if you're down, you're not in control of the match. But generally speaking, they don't seem to be in control as to how the game is going to be played and what pace is the game going to be played with. What kind of rhythm do you add to the game? Do you slow it down? Do you speed it up? It doesn't feel like Manchester United is the one making those decisions. They're reacting to what the other teams are doing. Now, they're reacting very well in the counter-attack opportunities, but rarely do you see Manchester United actually putting the ball down. Here we go. We're going to knock it around, and we're going to play this game on our terms. When, when you talk about control, they're not finishing off 1-2-1 and two, one by passing the ball, keeping it, keeping it away from the mm. opposition. They're, win, they're, they're holding on to this win by putting four centre-backs on the field, pretty much. Mm. That, that's a little different to the teams that are above them. Well, they're definitely above Luton right now. Obviously, as mentioned, they're getting themselves, well, they've been embroiled in that relegation battle down there at the bottom. They're 17th right now. A point outside of it is Everton, Burnley and Sheffield United below them. So this was the story yesterday, obviously, in the City-Chelsea game. Erling Haaland misses, Ale. Strikers Union, what have you got to say? <laughs> well, not a whole lot. And I think I go back to the midweek game in Champions League as well, in which, look, he went late in that match with a double miss. And that negative momentum carried on to this match as well because he's making all the right movements. He's getting ahead of defenders. He's finding himself in good position. So you cannot fault the movement. You cannot fault the work rate, but you can fault the final touch. And in the, in the end, he is going to be judged on the final touch. For all the good movement that he gives you off the ball, for all the runs in behind, for all the strength that he can show, and he flashes across the defender. Now he's finding himself in a good space. The ball is delivered. Now it's you, baby, early. Here we go. Header. And it goes out. And when it starts happening once, twice, three times, you kind of go, okay, it's no longer a one-off. Now this is sort of kind of in his head a little bit, and you saw his reaction as to how disgusted he was with himself at the end of the match. And I suppose I like to see that because obviously there is a level of frustration, but he's got to get rid of that because guess what? His goals are going to be critical for this team's success in whatever competition they're still in. Whether it's Champions League, whether it's the Premier League, his goals are going to be the difference. And so Maybe this is motivation. Maybe this is a kick in the backside. Maybe he doesn't need any of this motivation. He just needs to see the ball going in the back of the net. Against Everton, I thought that he had, because he was rusty before that. Scores a couple of goals. I'm thinking, okay, he's now turned that corner. Now we're going to see the very best from him. And that wasn't quite the case in the Champions League in midweek, and it wasn't certainly the case against Chelsea either. Just focusing on what Ali said. He mentioned a few of the competitions there, but just focusing on the Premier League. If he doesn't get his scoring boots on, can City still win the title? Yeah, yeah, because he's been out for a long time. And guess where City were up until a couple of weeks ago? Mm. Top of the league. So the answer to that is yes. I think, though, unfortunately, Haaland finds himself in a position of when you're so good and when you've got the numbers that he has, it's not acceptable to miss those chances. But what we forget is he's no different to anybody else. When you're out for a while, the one thing that goes more than anything is your timing. And that's... He got his timing completely wrong there. And for me, that's nothing to do with ability. That's just because he's been out for so long. So, yeah, I don't think it's a huge worry. It's a poor game. Guess what? Everybody has them, regardless of who you are. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? 
You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Here's how things are looking at the top of the Eredivisie. Stevie, you should read out all the teams there. <laughs> Valvik. <laughs> uh, yeah, PSV running away this season at the top of the Dutch League. <laughs> well, that will do it for the latest edition of ESPN FC, but we'd like to stick around a little Are bit longer. Are you funny, so high? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's answer your questions on Extra Time. Stick around. That's coming up next. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. <laughs> Stevie's uh, been very positive very today. Positive. Doesn't even very know positive. need to go into the positivity kind of Coach Nickel uh-huh. today being very, very. <laughs> Unless the conversation was about Manchester United, then. <laughs> then he'll find yeah, the reasons not to be. <laughs> yeah. Not nearly as positive. Somebody pulled the plug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First question. <laughs> How close would the PL title race eventually be, like in terms of points? You couldn't turn around and say somebody's going to separate themselves. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be close with the three of them the whole way. I mean, the, the whole season, it's kind of been like that. So there's no reason, and nobody, the way they're playing, is suggesting that they're just going to disappear and go on. A mental run, so yeah, it'll be tight the whole way. And if you're making a case for Arsenal, for example, the fact that they've had this couple of games in which they've scored a bunch of goals, that helps. That helps that goal differential, that helps. And if indeed we think it's going to be tight in the end, that may just be the difference. Talking about scoring a lot of goals, who finishes 2024 with more goals? Mm. Hoyland, currently at six, or Haaland, currently at two? I'll tell you, can I get a bet on this? (laughs) Sure, go ahead. Between Hoyland and Haaland, only a fool would not put their money on Haaland. Come on. You got a team in Man City that plays on the front foot, plays the game in the opposition's final third, and you've got another team who's all about counter-attacking. I mean, it's a complete and utter no-brainer. Haaland all day long. <laughs> I rest my case, okay. Your Honour. Are you betting with Kays? I'm, I'm wondering who he's betting with. Yeah, I think it's Kays. I'm, I'm looking for somebody to bet. No, no, because I'm, I'm not taking that bet. Well, I, was, I certainly hope not. You'd, be, if, off, you'd be off your rocker. No. But if current form continues for both... No. Okay, hey, Kay, go ahead. You can make your bet if you want to. I'm not getting involved in a bet with Stevie. Oh, why not? He's lost. Why not? Well, I haven't won one yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, but then if I win, I don't really win because I just get a big bag full of... Oh, wow. That's, that's not his money. What are you on about? Money is money, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just too good oh. for coins. Yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. um, I know Darwin receives a lot of heat for his finishing, but it seems like Garnacho's decision making is repeatedly poor. Should he be scrutinised more, more than the six replays we gave you today <laughs> of his uh, no. moment? No, I think it's, it's completely different when it's a young player coming through the academy and. And I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to guess that Garnaccio's probably was thrown in earlier than he probably would have been because of the situation. Um, and he's still got a lot to learn. He's still young. Well, he's just, well, he's just Garnaccio. Very young. 
He's very young. He's got to be, what, 20? Young. I mean, Damon's like nearly, what, 23? Older. He's so, definitely you know, older than Garnacho. So in, so in, I don't allow it. <laughs> so in, in three years' time, you'd have to think that Garnacho's decision-making is going to be way, way better. Uh, and certainly, he'll be more experienced. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think quite rightly, he's not under as big a scrutiny as, as others. Who, who do you think is more annoying to defenders? Darwin Nunez or Garnacho? Um, well, I think Nu. I, I would say Garnacho because at least Nunez will smile. <laughs> He'll smile when he's annoying you. Garnacho just seems to be angry. <laughs> or is that just my perception? Yes. I'm just saying, somebody's gonna line these guys up. But you can't do that anymore. No, I, I know. I know you can't. No. Right? You know. All right. Do you think Gabriel Jesus should be benched for Trossard for the rest of the season? No. Nope, absolutely not. And I, I also think that Trossard coming off the bench always seems to produce, always seems to do something that is, I, I, I think, dramatically more important than what he does when he starts matches. I, I, I think he's a, a very valuable resource to bring off the bench if you can have him on the bench. Uh, Garnacho isn't 20 yet, he's 19. Oh, there you go, yeah. No, he, he doesn't deserve to be under scrutiny. For Stevie, any advice you could give to the current Liverpool squad so that they have fewer injuries, or are injuries just a result of modern, fast-paced football? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, um, again, maybe my perception, but it seems to be there are a lot more hamstring injuries mm. these days. And, and I think a lot of that is to do with the pitches. Because the pitches are rock hard. I mean, they are rock hard compared to when I played. They were really soft. Today, they are, they're like that. And that is obviously harder on your joints and your muscles than it is running in, in you know, soft tough. So, it's just one of those things and, and sometimes you get a break and sometimes you don't. And the, the other thing is that you got to remember that when you get to this level, these athletes are, these are like Formula One cars and they're, they're fine-tuned machines, so it doesn't—it doesn't take a whole lot for everything to just kind of be derailed by a, something that seems to be off balance. And so, if you're carrying a little niggle here, and now you seem to because you you want to be available because you have to play your Champions League game or your Europa League game or the midweek game or the FA Cup and then the Premier League and so on and so forth, and it just kind of goes back to back to back, and you want to be available. That niggle, you, you seem to kind of ignore it. You don't take care of it the way that you should because you want to be out there. And guess what? Now, that niggle doesn't get any better. And then something else starts hurting because you are basically Compensate. compensating for what's going on over here. And you get into a rhythm in which you're compensating for this. Now you're compensating for that. Now you're covering this. Now you're covering that. And now it's not just one thing that has gone wrong. Now it's four things that's gone wrong. And that's when the hamstring goes. That's when the back goes. That's when the calf goes. So on and so forth. And that's why we get the injuries that we get. And it's not only the fast pace of the game. It's also the now you have games happening seemingly every three, four days. And you don't allow your body to rest. You don't allow your body to actually be ready for activity. It's, it's happening all too often, but it's the reality that we live in in today's game. 
Ferrale, do you think that Fede Valverde gets the praise he deserves of, as one of the best midfielders in the world, or is he actually underrated? I think Fede Valverde's work rate, I think, is taken for granted because you, it's, it's so natural and sometimes so effortless on, on his part, seemingly effortless, because once he gets going and he gets those strides going, he's just running by people like they're not even there. Uh, the physicality of his game and the quality with which he plays the game, again, I think it's taken for granted because you have Tony Cruz, who is your typical midfielder next to him, or you have Luka Modric, who's this classy player, or you have the athleticism that is very clear to see from Chuameni. Fede Valverde is a combination of all those things, uh, and, I, and I think he's just kind of like the other guy. You, you think of you think of the midfield of, of Real Madrid and you think Kroos, Modric, and, and Fede Valverde is like, and Valverde. And it's getting to the point to where you sort of have to start with Valverde and then the rest of the guys. He is an, a, an important part to Carlo Ancelotti and a critical part of his success because he can cover so many holes that these guys that I just mentioned, right now at this point in their career, they're not capable of covering those holes. See, for the, for the outside viewer, he's not as good as Vinny. Mm -hmm. He's not as good as Mbappe. He's not as good as him. He's not as good as him. He's not as good as him. And so sometimes people like Valverde, from the outside, what they do gets 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 missed. But every single one in his team mm -hmm. will know exactly what he does for them and what he does for the team. So yes, people on the outside will underestimate him, but the guys he plays with, they know exactly what he does. He's a career extender for a guy like Tony Cruz, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Cruz is having a resurgence in in his game, so much so that now there's conversation for him to be called back into the German national team, and that's part of the conversation. And that's only come about because, again, of this resurgence. In order for him to have the freedom to do the things that he does with the ball at his feet, somebody has to regain that possession. Somebody has to be able to do the work around him. And if you notice Real Madrid, Fede Valverde is doing that work alongside Tony Cruz, and then he's supporting the attack on the right-hand side. It takes a lot to be able to do that. He does it effortlessly, and people just don't notice it. Yeah. it, every, it every good team needs him. Yeah. Is he eating at the table? Oh yeah, absolutely. If I'm putting a team together, Fede Valverde is on my team. We always, yeah. LA always decides whether they're at, they're at the top table. Yeah. And it yeah. usually comes down to a player that's hardworking, has the right attitude. Yeah. Fede Valverde. And you, you never hear anything about, oh, Fede Valverde is unhappy with his uh, role. Oh, Fede Valverde doesn't want to do this, doesn't want to do that. No, it, it's almost as if Ancelotti tells him, hey, I need you to play here. All right, okay, boss. All right, whatever you say. Love those guys. Aw, that was some nice positivity. Yeah, see, it's, it's catching. Here. I know, it's, it's like a disease, yeah. positivity, isn't it? You want a disease. <laughs> you're turning, somehow you're turning positivity into something yeah. negative. See? This is a positive table. Does that mean positive? You do that? <laughs> that means positive, guys. Is there, uh, if there is a Champions League group with these teams in their current form, what will be the ranking at the end of the group stage? Real Madrid, Arsenal, Inter, and Bayer Leverkusen. Oh, man. Well, see, that's a, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Current form, Leverkusen tops, tops the table. Mm -hmm. And then followed by Inter. Followed by... Madrid and Arsenal. This is all okay, getting talking... very, very, very Shaka Power Rankings algorithm-based. Uh, yeah. no, it depends how you take the question. Right. right. But then, that, but then, 
because you qualify it as saying it's a Champions League group, then all of a sudden you think Real Madrid, Champions League. Yeah. And no chance they're not getting out of that group. Yeah, you're not, you're not backing well, against Madrid, are you? Put them all at their very best against one another. Well, you're taking Real Madrid, eh? Okay. And who's second? You're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about Bayer Leverkusen because they don't have any real, well, they, I mean, Bonifi, they don't have any real bona fide superstars. Mm. See, that's the problem. You look at Arsenal and you look at Inter and you think of the names on the team, but that's, again, that's not the question. At the very best, <laughs> you don't go 32 games undefeated unless you're good. Really good. And neither Ars Arsenal haven't done that. That's a tough one. Real Madrid. It's a good one. Real Madrid are uh, first, right? Right. Champions League, Real Madrid. Yeah. Not, not Rayo Vallecano, Real Madrid. Yeah, after, after that, it's not easy. It's going to be late night. Yeah. I'm <laughs> thinking about I that. I think I'm going to go with Arsenal last because mm. Inter Milan are top of the league, flying for the Champions League final last year. Yeah. I mean... Which I didn't lose by much. Correct. So, I think second place is between Leverkusen and Milan. I think Arsenal, unfortunately, would be fourth. Inter, don't go. Madrid, one, and then, what do you think? Who's two and three? Well, you know my allegiance is to Bundesliga. Come on now. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking Leverkusen and Xavi Alonso. Okay. I, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Liverpool it. player, Xavi Alonso. Uh -huh. yeah. I wouldn't argue with that. Uh, MLS season is back. Favourites to win MLS Cup and what can Charlotte FC fans expect to see from a Dean Smith-led outfit? Okay. No idea. No, that's, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> no idea. That's, that's, that's a two-part question. <laughs> LAFC is always going to be good. Yeah. yeah they're always going to be in the mix. Seattle's always going to be there, 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 but... My Columbus crew defending MLS Cup champion Columbus crew. Man. Yeah, they could, they, could, they could disappear. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. What happened to the positivity? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, who are your favorites well, You can only stretch it so far. No, I, I, I say LAFC. I, it, if, you, if you're looking for teams that can recreate momentum season after season after season, LAFC seem to be that group. Although, look, if you really like a story, Enter Miami, Messi, if he's healthy throughout the course of the season, it gets, if they get hot in the playoff, who would you rather have the ball or with the ball in a playoff situation than Lionel Messi in Major See, League that's Soccer? My, that's my concern with him. Yeah. I mean, Messi, Alba, um, Suarez, Busquets, Busquets, who was Suarez, the one? Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez. <laughs> <laughs> well, because are you trying to figure out? Played, unless you've been in, unless you've been and yeah. played in MLS, you have no idea how difficult with the traveling. Now I know they've got their own planes now, yeah. but it still takes you a day either side of the game. It takes you a day. So players that are at the end of their careers find it difficult to stay fit a lot of the time. They've got to be very careful they don't overtrain. They've got to make sure they look after themselves 100%. I mean, it's not its not easy. If you're 100% fit and you're Busquets and all these guys, then the games should be relatively straightforward. But when you add in all the other stuff, 
It's not. See, and, and then winning League's it's Cup uh, last season, it was sort of the perfect way for Lionel Messi to come into MLS because it was more of a tournament setting than the grind that Stevie is talking about, which is pretty much what the playoffs look like towards the end of the season. But in order to get to the playoffs, you gotta go through four or five months of grind, including the summer months that are, let me just tell you, miserable in Major League Soccer, right? And just in case you didn't know, and I know you're, you're very well versed in this case, it's hot in Miami. It is hot. And playing in, the, in, the, in those sort of circumstances throughout the course of the season, that can take its toll. So it's going to be really important for Inter Miami to be very mindful of the minutes of all these players, not just Messi, but of all these players, so that they are coming into the playoff fresh. Well, first they got to make the playoff, mm -hmm. and they come into the playoff fresh. And if they get into that tournament setting, then you look at Inter Miami with all the game winners that potentially they have on the field, and you got to say that's a scary team to play against, as long as they have runners next to them, guys that are going to work, guys that are going to balance the team out. And if they do, then Inter-Miami's got to be in the conversation. You know, I think, I think as, as great as it is having those players, having Tato as the manager, yeah. it's absolutely huge. Or Tata. Tato. <laughs> I'm saying the Tato used to work well. <laughs> <laughs> you call him what you want to say. Oh, right. Yeah, right. that guy. Okay, I love this last question. I saw it when I put out the okay. question tonight and I was hoping it would make the cut and it has. Okay. If Ali has 10 one-on-ones with Stevie in their primes, oh, how well, many times would Ali dribble him? Well, I've, before, before, before you go on your rant, let me just say I wasn't a dribbler. Yeah, I, I Dali wasn't a dribbler. I wasn't a dribbler, so it wasn't. I wouldn't face up and try to go one v one with people. Right, regardless. so you're making excuses already. No, no, it just wasn't my game. I, was it? Yeah, yeah. It, it just wasn't my game. I didn't throw myself out into wide areas to I go didn't dribble. Think it people. was your game, but what ten one on ones with Stevie? Then how many times are you getting past him? Well, he's not because that's not his game. Yeah, and, and mind you, I, sometimes, even if I got past somebody, sometimes I would drag my feet and just draw, draw a foul. Because uh. the end of the play was coming. Uh. <laughs> He's even coaching you. I said it myself. I said it myself. A unique set of skills <laughs> that doesn't involve dribbling. Well, how many times would he get past you in 10 1 0? No, they wouldn't. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. Here we go. This would be a lot of fouling, is what there would be. A lot of fouling. Oh, I, I mean, I don't think that you. I mean, Fallon wouldn't have to come into it. It's obviously an option. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'd, I'd have a few options. He's a great diver you know, as well. And the last that. one would be Fowling. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all the equals, the equation equals the same outcome. Ah, oh, wow. Now, mind you, may I just say this? We're talking about Footballer of the Year here in... Yes. Huh? In the first division in England, yes. right? So we're talking. I kinda, top, yeah, I kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah, uh, top, we're talking. That helps. Yeah, we're talking top of the pile. <laughs> helps. Yeah, these trophy, <laughs> trophy cabinets. Yeah, we're, we're talking top of the pile here. So, frankly, it's not my game. I'm not a. I wasn't a dribbler, and I wasn't concerned about dribbling anybody. I was just trying to find a space in the box so I can go tap the ball in. I've got to tell you, huh? you didn't. Did, did you see extra time yesterday? I did not. So the question was similar. Mm. Eleven. Me's right <laughs> against no eleven of me's was it, I think was it a fifty, 
a 50-year-old me, right? 11 50-year-old me's uh -huh. against 11 Sebs oh, in his prime. <laughs> and I am telling you I'm taking that you. Seb, <laughs> you know, I mean, a sensible, normal person would go, well, I, um, yeah, I mean, obviously that would. Seb was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, he was dead serious. I'm telling you, he's going, well, 50. A 50-year-old you against 11 me's in my prime, he's like, mm -hmm. No, he was kind of smiling as if he was like... No, but he wasn't. But you could tell yeah. that he, he's, he's actually it, yeah. not. He, you could tell. He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah. He's 100% wrong. I know, because yeah. what do you never lose? We'd established this the other night. You never lose your touch, Stevie. No. no. <laughs> and no. Now, in, in, in going back to, to this specific question, that would be the equivalent of saying, hey, how many times are you going to beat Maldini in a 1v1? Because in his prime, he was at that level. Well, not many people are beating Maldini in a 1v1 situation. It's yeah. It's... I mean, we're talking best of the best, and we're talking and eh, not so not so best of the best here. Oh, we're talking different skill set. Yeah. That's huh? oh. yeah. top of the pile. Skill set. I was part of the pile. <laughs> well, then it's great to be part of it. Yeah, Coach Nickel, yeah. great performance from you. I think it's wonderful yeah. stuff. Thanks so what, much for what, sending in your question. What about me? <laughs> See, this is this is a problem. You should be happy to underrated, be part of it. underestimated. Yeah. You should be happy to be part of it. <laughs> Thank you, Kay. <laughs> Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They're the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled, and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C, ebikes.com.